Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is a prayer that our bishop sent to us right after the events of last Wednesday. I've been reading it as a prayer all week, and I offer it to you. Hopefully it brings comfort and direction for what we can do as people of God. Let's share in God's good word together. The first thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. This is the way of our Savior God wants us to live. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What we saw play out on Capitol Hill was violence, but it was worse because it was family. Last Sunday, Reverend Paul Rasmussen said it was a violent assault by our own citizens on our own citizens. And for me, it was made worse because they used Jesus' name. What we saw was not Christianity. It was heresy. It was using God's name in vain, a breaking of the third commandment. Exodus 27 reads, You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. And that exact wording is used again in Deuteronomy 5, verse 11. So when you see a banner with Jesus' name on it, smashing down a doorway, that is not the way of Jesus. It is a grasp for power. What we do with God's name is serious business, in private, in person, and in public. This week we conclude our sermon series, Better. And today we look at how God calls us to be better in public. All of us. We all need the wisdom from one another and from the Scripture to heal our relationships in our homes, in our churches, and in our nation. Lord, help us as we begin. So, a few weeks ago, we began with Better in Private. And I want to invite you to set a time and a place to be alone with God each and every day so that the love of God and the peace of God will make you less irritable and discouraged, that you will invite those things in your life. It's an outflow of spending time with God. Because if God's in control and God loves you, there's no reason to be worried. There's no reason to be discouraged. There's no reason to be irritated with people who don't go along with your plans. God is in control, and you are right where you need to be. The second week of the series, Pastor Brandon helped us learn how to be better in person. And one of the ways you do that is by expressing gratitude to those around you each and every day. Your relationships will get a lot better if you simply say, thank you. Somebody takes out the trash, thank you. Somebody helps you carry something, thank you. Somebody brings water to your table, Thank you. In your relationships, gratitude is powerful. And so I hope you'll remember that. And today, finally, we come to better in public. Um, Not all of us are public figures, but many of our congregation are. And you're going to hear from some of them today about how important it is for us to have Christian character, not just at home, which is important, but also in the public square. So I want us to remember that the goal of Christianity is nothing more and nothing less than to live and love like Jesus. Will you say that with me? The goal of Christianity is to live and love like Jesus. That's it. That's our goal. But sometimes, living like Jesus is in competition with getting our way and putting His name on our agenda. And we've seen that in our own country um, over the last number of weeks, and it's been painful. Today, I came across this from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Army, Navy, Marines, 
Air Force, Space Force, National Guard, they all came together and they said this, the rights of freedom of speech and assembly do not give anyone the right to resort to violence, sedition, and insurrection. That's not the normal language of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, but they had to say something for the betterment of our nation, and so do we. I try to let politics go, but as you know, Christ and His way, well, it's political, but it's not partisan. Christ shapes the way we are to live, and I want to share part of that with you today. And I think you already know this. We have a serious problem, a serious public problem of division that requires our immediate action right now, and it requires our redemptive love. Only love is going to get us through this. And that requires the best of Christ living in you, living in me, us coming together, listening, working together, and restoring our nation. But it's going to take a while. It's going to take a while. Listening, loving, helping, starting over, listening, learning, loving, forgiving, starting over. And just, just in case uh, we were mistaken and thought, oh, well, you know, Pastor Mark's just going to say, yay, 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 you know, let's just be unified. Well, that's lovely, but unity takes a lot of work. Christian author Shane Claiborne says it like this, truth comes before repentance. I mean, we, we have to know if somebody says we're sorry, well, what are you sorry for? What, what's going on? Where are we broken? Truth comes before repentance, and repentance comes with reparations and accountability. Repentance comes before reconciliation. Reconciliation comes before unity. And so, yes, we, we have a call for unity, but there's a lot of work for us to truly be unified and not just pretend reconciled, but really there for one another, person to person, citizen to citizen, child of God to child of God. Um, I had the great pleasure of going to church um, with George Bush um, before he was president. He was a member at Highland Park United Methodist Church where Chantel and I attended. Um, and on Wednesday, he said this, it is a sickening and heartbreaking sight in the United States of America. It is the fundamental responsibility of every patriotic citizen to support the rule of law. To those who are disappointed in the results of the election, our country is more important than the politics of the moment. And certainly he would know that. He knows what it is to be in office. He knows what it is to be out of office. And so when I came to this discussion, I thought of some of the most public figures of our church community, of our faith family. And I thought about those people of our community who I believe do it very well and have really probably more experience than I do. And so I asked them to share a little bit with you, their faith family, about how they understand how God's call is to help them become better in private, in person, and in public. And so I asked these public figures. The first, first person of our church family I want to share with you is Major General Michael Thompson. Uh, he's the Adjutant General of the Oklahoma National Guard. Uh, you might say he is the top law enforcement official of our state. And so um, here he is uh, as he speaks about his faith in public. Hi everyone, I'm Mike Thompson, the Adjutant General for the Oklahoma National Guard. And uh, I'm very happy to have an opportunity to be a part of this conversation about being better, uh, being better in public. So I wanna thank uh, Pastor Mark for letting me be a part of the discussion. I think it's a great discussion for us to have, particularly now uh, with all the things we have going on in our country around uh, with us right now. Um, 
And when I thought about how I would contribute to this conversation, I just thought about uh, it caused me to do a little bit of reflection of my own life, my own career. And when I think about it, um, being better in public is something that's been a part of me my entire life. Um, because uh, the professions that I chose to pursue are very high profile, very public professions. I joined the Oklahoma National Guard when I was 20 years old in 1983. Um, I became a platoon leader in 1986. And I knew from the time I took that leadership position that there was such an expectation for me to conduct myself in a certain way all the time whether I'm at work or not at work, at drill or not at drill, I needed to conduct myself in such a way that I projected professionalism and didn't, more importantly, not do anything that reflected poorly on the organization. So, so yeah, uh, being better in a public setting is something I've been conscious of for a long time. Later on, when I would join the Oklahoma Highway Patrol in 1990 and spend 28 years doing that, um, I really realized how much of a fishbowl that I'd put me and my family in. Because everyone knows who you are and they know what you do and they know where you live and they have certain expectations of you as a trooper. And, and frankly, for me, I felt the pressure of being a black man in this profession because I felt there was an added level of scrutiny. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, uh, that's a, a feeling that I've, I've lived with my entire life. So being better in public and professional and, and pro projecting that professionalism and interacting with people in, in a positive manner is always something that I've been conscious of. Um, because I've been in these positions, I've kind of had the opportunity to go all, to all these great schools to hone my ability to be a more effective leader. But the best advice I've ever had about leadership, I learned from my mom uh, years ago uh, when I was barely a teenager. And she would tell me to treat people the way that you want to be treated. And that has been a salient point. That's been a part, an integral part of me. Uh, that's how I've pursued life. It's how I've pursued being a husband and a father and a friend and a co-worker and is, I'm here at this point in my life because I've believed in that principle and as I've gotten older I realize that not only do you need to treat people the way that you want to be treated but be careful about how you interact with people because you have no idea what they are going through you don't know if that person is struggling with depression you don't know if that person has a family member they're struggling with a drug addiction. You don't know if that person just found out that they have been fired from a job that they love and struggling, wondering how they're going to uh, provide for their family now. So why would you deal with that person in a negative manner or cause more drama or more stress to that person? Um, let's do the opposite and be kind and be nice and be decent, be Christ-like. Let's live a life that hopefully they will feel the need to understand faith. And in 2 Corinthians verse 5, chapter 7, it says, we live by faith, not by sight. And if we can live a life that would 
encourage other people to embrace that approach to life, why wouldn't we? Be better? Certainly we can. Be better? Uh, absolutely we should. We can all benefit from that. So thank you again to Pastor Mark for letting me be a small part of this. I wish you all the best. God bless you. Thank you, General Thompson. His mom's right. Treat others as you want to be treated. It's really that simple. And yes, those are the words of Jesus, the golden rule. As Mike said so well, our public actions matter. Who we are, how we drive, what we say, online, in person, it matters. Our words matter. You may have heard this. Here's a great way to ask yourself if you should say anything at all. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And if it's not true, kind, and necessary, it probably doesn't need to be said. That'll keep us out of a lot of trouble. Our words matter. Your words matter. And being a Christian matters. Our Christian character matters to the world. You, you know this as well as I do. All is a quick Google search of why people don't like Christians, and it's because they think we're hypocrites. We say that we love our neighbor, and then they see what they saw on Wednesday. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. And so it matters how we act. It matters what we say. It matters how we are in our relationships with others. And the truth matters. The truth matters. And sometimes that takes some digging. And it also takes people around us. Before every sermon, I give my sermon notes to my entire team. And sometimes they find out things that I don't know. And they correct me. And I say, thank you. Particularly around commas when it comes to Brandon. So, here's the thing about truth. Jesus says this about truth. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When you find the truth, you are finding Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you are finding the truth. Because all truth is God's truth. And Jesus is that truth itself. Another person in our church that I think does an amazing job of expressing his faith and his faithfulness uh, to his job in the public arena is Dr. Anthony Roden. He's the Associate Professor of Politics and Law at Southern Nazarene University, and I want you to hear from him. Here's how he does it. Well, this is definitely an interesting time to be teaching political science. At our university, one of the program outcomes that we have for political science is that all students will be able to articulate what it means to be a Christian in a political world. And while I can do that through talking and teaching in classes like American politics or international relations or sports and politics, I realize I also need to do that through example. And so one of the ways in which I make sure that when I'm in public and when I'm facing students and that when we're talking politics, one of the last things I want to do is try to shut out argument or to make people feel less than for their own political opinions, regardless of where they fall in the political spectrum. That's why whenever I start every semester, I tell my students that by the end of the semester, they shouldn't know how I voted in the most recent election. As a result, I've gotten feedback that I'm everything from a bleeding heart liberal to a die hard conservative. 
But one thing that keeps me grounded, even when we have very passionate discussions in my political science classes uh, about really anything nowadays, uh, is the idea that Pastor Mark, and the saying that Pastor Mark has been saying um, quite a bit, is this idea that Christ was political, but he wasn't partisan. I try to emulate that in my classrooms to show that politics should not define or take away from our identities in Christ. That we may have differing political opinions, we can differ and argue passionately, but we need to do it in God-honoring ways. And so whenever I teach, I make sure that students know, regardless of where they are, regardless of if they are on the far left, or if they are on the right, or somewhere in between, their ideas and their presence is welcome in my classrooms. Because we are all fearfully and wonderfully made. And regardless of whatever opinions we may develop here for our brief time here on earth, that doesn't detract from the more eternal mindset and the eternal ideas that we have about our identities as Christians, holy, beloved creations in Christ. Thank you, Dr. Roden. I love that he takes his work so seriously, and he doesn't try to show his cards of how he feels one way or the other. He tries to mine the truth. Where are we as a country, truthfully, historically? What's going on? What's driving us? How can we work together? And it's so important in these days that we turn to God so that we don't turn on one another. One of the ministers that I follow and I listen to quite often is Kerry Newoff, and he says it like this, turn to God with your frustrations about people because if you don't turn to God, you'll turn on people. And certainly that's not what we want to be about. I don't want my life to be filled with chaos and riots and mobs. I don't want that for my children or my grandchildren whenever they come. So what does the Bible say about how we live out our public life? Well, the first thing is that the Bible says that God hates the lover of violence. We are to have nothing to do with violence. You might remember that Jesus, the most powerful person to ever walk the earth, did not start a riot. He laid down his life so that you and I and all the world might live. Psalm 11 says it like this. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and his soul. God's soul, God's being, hates the lover of violence. God wants us to have nothing to do with violence. We're not to plan it. We're not to choose it. We're not to participate in it. We're not to emulate it. Nothing to do with violent behavior. It is absolutely out of bounds for the Christian. Now, you might ask about military action. That's a different sermon. But here, for us as private citizens, violence is out of the question. We are to live peaceable, quiet lives of peace. Again, the scripture says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. That's a form of violence. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you already have it with you. Do not plan harm against your neighbor who lives trustingly beside you. Do not quarrel with anyone without cause when no harm has been done to you. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. Not one of them. Not, not even a bit. We are to be far from violence. Far from violence. Not to incite it, not to participate in it not to be around conversations that might lead that direction because our words lead to our actions and they matter. The scripture also says that we are to protect our soul, who we really are, our character 
from falsehood. We are to be seekers of the truth. We are to be seekers after Jesus, the truth, and stay far away from devious talk. In Proverbs, the wisdom of the Bible says this, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Don't have anything to do with it, online or in person. Do not let your words get away from you. James, the brother of Jesus, says we got to be really careful with what we say with our tongue. So also the tongue, it's a small little piece of our body, yet it boasts of great exploits. Yet how great a force is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, James says. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. And be really careful with our tongue, with what we say. You know this to be true with your spouse, and with your children, with your parents, at your work. People get fired because of what they say. People lose their spouses because of what they say. People lose relationships with their children and their siblings and their parents because of what they say. God says we're to love one another and to work for peace, and mercy, and justice. These are the things of God. And these are the very calls of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. In his great sermon, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for rightness, for truth, for that which is good. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for those who show mercy. They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers. Could you be called a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers, children of God, that's who we are called to be by Jesus himself, the Christ, the founder and center of Christianity. And Jesus himself is the peace that breaks down the walls of division. Healing can come, but it's going to come through Jesus, by his power, by his resurrection, by his grace, and by his example of laying down his rights for the sake of of the whole. Again, the scripture says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. Christ is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one. Now, at that time, they were talking about Gentiles and Jews, but you could be talking about Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and everybody on the scale. You could be talking about nation over nation. Jesus is the one who has the power to bring it together. He's made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall. That is the hostility between us. We have to own the truth that there is hostility between people, even in our own country. And Christ has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity where we are now one family with people we agree with and people we disagree with. We are now family in place of two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body. That makes no sense to harm your own body. It is ridiculous. So Jesus comes that we might be reconciled, both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. Now, there's been a lot said over the last 20 minutes or so, but I want to start to close up with this great theologian often attributed this phrase to Jimi Hendrix. When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Will you say that with me?
When the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. One of the people of our church who knows so much about the pain and the suffering that's going on in our nation is Dr. Nick Timmerman, assistant professor of history at Langston University. And his students, he's learned so much from them at Langston University. And I want to hear you to hear from him now. Here he is. Hello, church family. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Dr. Nick Timmerman, but you can just call me Nick. I'm an assistant professor of history at Langston University, and my research and teaching interests are in U.S. environmental history, with a focus in African-American and Native American history. Before moving to Oklahoma, I completed my undergrad and master's degree at the University of Michigan and my PhD at Mississippi State University, all focused in U.S. history. Mark asked me to briefly discuss what it means to be better in public as part of the Better Sermon series. I'm frequently asked the question about, given all I know on U.S. history, including the awful and heinous parts, how can I still be proud to be an American? The same question could be asked about Christianity writ large. History does not necessarily repeat itself, but as novelist Stephen King has written, history rhymes. Sin is in this world, people do awful things, and much of it has been done in the name of God, glory, or country for centuries. In a quick analysis of the United States, our country is very much the country who lynched Emmett Till, and the country who walked arm in arm with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., John Lewis, Ralph Abernathy, Rabbi Herschel, Frederick Douglass Reese, etc., etc. It is a nation that, as Professor Ibn Kendi argues, a nation with two souls, meaning a nation that is defined by white supremacy, hatred, and vitriol, and a nation defined by democracy, freedom, and justice. This is something that is very applicable to our faith tradition and identity as Christ followers, and the competing concepts of what it means to be a Christian in the United States in the 21st century. Past 30 to 40 years of modern U.S. history demonstrate this division in the church, one that is divided between controlling political power and extreme individualism, and one which is open to all defined by Christ's love and unity. What does this all mean for someone in my position as a historian, professor, and a believer working at Oklahoma's single historically black college or university, an HBCU, that was literally founded in 1897 as the only option for black Oklahomans to attend college for over 60 years? Well, for me, truth matters, and speaking the truth matters. There are many warnings throughout the scriptures about speaking the truth, such as Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. In a day and age where misinformation and falsehoods are mainstream, we as Christians need to be aware of what information we are consuming and repeating. As a professor, I believe it is important to guide my students through the process of navigating the information age, where data can be acquired through the quick swipe of a finger. It is imperative to know if that information is factual. Truth matters in discussing my field of study with my students. Yes, I want them to be able to think for themselves, offer their own opinions, and come to their own conclusions. But they also need to guide through the deluge of information and the systemic disparities that plague our country. The United States is a first world country with third world problems. You don't have to look far to find those issues that follow students into the classroom. For example, according to the Oklahoma Food Bank, one in four Oklahoma children are at risk of going to bed hungry, and one in three during this pandemic. College students are also living through these disparities. As a church, there are issues that we need to care about that go far beyond party politics. As a professor of U.S. history, I'm committed to discussing these issues with my students so they can understand the humanity and live experience of all Americans through this country's history. 
Ultimately, I'm committed to following the two greatest commandments Jesus laid out to his disciples. Love God and love neighbor. Our country, our communities, and our families are divided. We are divided over issues of party politics, religion, race, and even this pandemic. Working at Langston University, where 97% of the student population is black, I'm constantly reminded about how this division has negatively affected entire races, ethnicities, and communities in our country. And as a historian, I can tell you how and why. If we commit ourselves to being better in private, in person, and in public, then we need to put aside any and all differences, see people for who they are, and love them. As 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 6 states, love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Not all of us are called into this world to march with individuals such as Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. for social justice, or to shepherd a flock as a pastor, but we are called to love, to seek truth, to pray for peace, justice, and a fair and good government. I want to end with the words of someone much wiser than myself. As the late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world, for love is the only way. I truly believe this is what it means to live out a Christ-like life in public. Are we perfect every day in accomplishing this goal? No. But if we commit ourselves to a Christ-like life in private, in person, and in public, we can strive to show his love to a broken world. Thanks, Dr. Timmerman. Now, you may be thinking or feeling, wow, this is way too big. What could I possibly do? How could I possibly help? This is way bigger than anything I can be a part of. Well, friends, never forget, Christ is with us. We are Easter people, and the time to act in love is now. So here are action steps for the week. Number one, pray every way you know how for rulers and good government everywhere. Like 1 Timothy says, Pray however you know for everyone you know right now. So that's first. Secondly then, in private, in person, and in public, respond reasonably and love irrationally. And never the other way around. Respond reasonably, love irrationally. And then very simply, my friend Craig Fenestead puts it like this. Criticize and judge less, accept and forgive more. Pretty simple sometimes hard to do. And then finally, friends, with all that I am, I beg you, never put Jesus' name on your agenda. Never. Just don't do it. Don't put Jesus' name on somebody else's agenda. Go to God. Go to Jesus. Go to the Holy Spirit and ask, what would you have me do? Have your way with me. Let it be with me according to your word, according to your will. Those are the prayers of Jesus and his people. I want to invite you to pray uh, this prayer for our country with me, uh, and then we'll go into the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, help us see each other as you see us, a common humanity that reflects your image. Use us to bring healing and unity to our hurting and divided nation and world. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's share the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.